by show of hands, who here feels completely confident navigating this book? <laughs> who understands every single word in this book? <laughs> who is moved and inspired by every word in this book? And who feels like this book can be read in your voice, like it belongs to you? On the one hand, the text of Arsidur is our Masora, our inheritance. It connects us to Jewish communities of the past, present, and future. It allows for Jews across the world to feel like they're on the literal same page, guiding and shaping our values through a shared language that we return to every day, three times a day. On the other hand, Arsidor has its limits. For one, if I tried to focus on every single word and phrase in our matbeat filah, in our liturgy, I would probably be gearing up for Barhu by the time that Cantor Ezer gets to Kiddush on Shabbat. There is just so much liturgy and not enough time to give each word the focus and attention that they deserve. Sometimes it can be challenging to pray in words that are not my own. Sometimes prayers that may have been relevant 2,000 years ago just don't speak to my modern reality. And sometimes I don't even agree with what it is that I'm praying. And then there are moments that my heart, my soul, yearn to connect with my community, reflect on myself, and call out to God through a medium other than the Sidor. The Jewish people are no strangers to balancing between keva, the form and the structure of our prayer, including the words we say and when we say them, and kavanah, the soulful, spiritual, connective elements of our prayer. Just like me, the rabbis of our Mishnah struggled to get this balance right, too. For Rabban Gamliel, prayer was all or nothing. As far as he was concerned, if the full liturgy wasn't recited in its entirety, it wasn't prayer. For Rabbi Yehoshua, abridged or shortened prayers were okay, but Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva sort of tempered that by saying that this only really applies if one is very fluent in their prayer. Sorry, not fluent in their prayer. They're allowed to abbreviate if they're not fluent. But if they're fluent, got to do the full thing. And for Rabbi Eliezer, 
requiring prayer to be too fixed and too rigid endangers one's ability to engage in a meaningful, personal, connective experience of tefillah. You know, the kind of spontaneous prayer that you might say when you feel called to pour your heart and soul out in a moment of deep joy or immense anguish. The rabbis of the Mishnah instituted prayer as a critical way to connect to God, to community, to Jewish identity in a post-temple world. And yet, they did believe strongly in the need for personal connection, for individual connection. The rabbis understood that ha'oset filato keva ein filato tachanunim. Tradition and structure, keva, need to be balanced with relevance and meaning, kavana. In Parashat Yitro, we just read about the overwhelming thunder and lightning experienced by Bnei Israel as they received Torah at Sinai. And we're left wondering, what exactly did B'nai Israel see, hear, and perceive in the moment of revelation? Throughout the narrative, we see the word kol repeated over and over again. B'nai Israel hear kolot uvrakim, thunder and lightning, and a kol shofar, the blast of a shofar. Vayahi kol hashofar holech vechazek meod. Moshe yidaber vehaelohim yaanenu vekol. The blare of the horn grew louder and louder. And as Moses spoke, God answered him with the sound of a thunderous shofar in a voice. The word kol in this verse is purposefully ambiguous. Are we meant to understand that God's voice sounded like a thunderous blast? Or are we meant to understand that God spoke using human language? If God spoke the Ten Commandments in that thunderous blast, as opposed to words, how does our relationship with Jewish life, with ritual, with prayer, change? If kol meant that God spoke in words, then Moses' part in Revelation is one of relaying a message to the Jewish people. If the message relayed was true to God's speech, then the laws, the customs, the verses handed down must be rigid and unchanging for all time. On the other hand, if
call means that God spoke in that thunderous blast. Then Moses himself must have played a role of interpreter, translator, during the events of Revelation. Just as Moses interpreted the voice of God as he passed our laws and customs to B'nai Israel, we must also engage in that process of revelation, which requires our continued application of God's word to our lives. Lo b'shamayim hi. Torah is not in the heavens. The work of our bringing our Torah down from the heavens requires us to both hold on to our tradition and to harmonize it with our lives. Rabbi Michael Strassfeld, most well-known for his work on the Jewish Catalog series, and who Reb Steve and I learned with just this past Wednesday at JTS in New York, argues in his latest book, Judaism Disrupted, that prayer must connect people to the most important, the most real, the most vibrant, the most alive issues in their lives in order to be relevant. On the Shabbat following October 7th, as we welcomed Shabbat together in this room with the words of our evening prayers, my voice caught on a phrase that I had breezed through so many times before. Hapores sukat shalom alenu ve'al kol amo Israel. The one who shelters over us a canopy of peace and over all God's people, Israel. In the past, I really hadn't given this phrase much thought. I took it for granted. It wasn't relevant to me. Peace was often a given. And now, this phrase feels not just relevant, but like an urgent plea that gives voice and language to my most deeply held thoughts, and aspirations. Since October 7th, I've taken to pausing after I chant Matir Asurim, who frees the bound during our daily Amidah. Before, freeing the bound was a hypothetical idea, distant, irrelevant. Now, this prayer has become very real for us all. These examples don't require much reinterpretation of prayer, but they do require us to be open enough to allow traditional prayer to speak to our lived realities and give voice to our experiences of the world. Torah doesn't tell us which Judaism to ascribe to, one of holding fast to tradition or one of continuing interpretation, application, relevance, meaning-making. 
Instead, our Torah retains the ambiguity of the events of Revelation as they were experienced. No further description is assigned to the word kol, God's voice. We don't know whether it was that thunderous blast or God's literal word. But we are encouraged ourselves to find the balance between what has been given to us, what has been passed down to us, and how we apply it to our own experiences so that our text remains a Torah Chaim, a Torah of lived reality. About 2,000 years after God's kol spoke Jewish ritual and practice into being, the destruction of our temple brought with it a need to adapt and to innovate. Prayer replaced temple sacrifice as a way of coming close to God, to each other, and to our deepest selves. Sharing our kolot, our voices, through prayer, allows us the structure that is necessary for building community, while at the same time, it invites us to approach God as individuals, with the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts. Earlier this month, Betzedek launched a journey to gather information from our community about prayer and spirituality. Just yesterday, we closed the survey that we sent out for the month of January to take the pulse of this community's spiritual lives. Those of you who responded have helped shape the conversations that are only just beginning about how we can best meet our community's spiritual and ritual needs. Thank you. But we're only just getting started. There's still time to help out. We want to explore your spiritual lives with you. So many of you commented in the survey that you don't know what spirituality means. You don't know how to define what being spiritual is. Why do you pray? How can Beth Tzedek support a deeper connection to your inner life? How can we help you make meaning? What are the barriers that you experience to connective, effective prayer? How can we retain tradition and meet the needs of our hearts and our minds? What do we leave out and what do we lift up? How can we use communal singing and reflection and learning to inspire us? Who knows what opportunities we might discover for a new, bold, innovative way to reflect and express our soul's most deeply held truths. And we need your help. Beyond the information that we gathered in our survey, we will be spending the next couple of months hosting one-to-one -one conversations with congregants who are willing to share their experiences, your experiences, of prayer and spirituality at Beth Sedek and beyond. I invite you to be in touch with me after Shabbat to schedule a time to sit together 
to reflect on your experiences of prayer here at Beth Tzedek and share ideas for how we can innovate, adapt, and grow our offerings to meet your needs. This morning, we all rose to listen to the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Utterances, as Sarah Teddy brought. Just as Moses interpreted, applied, translated those commandments into his own context, his own lived reality, it's now our job to apply this text and our tradition to our realities. Pirkei Avot teaches us not to treat our prayer as a fixed obligation. In other words, we should not be bored, disconnected, or uninspired by our spiritual and our prayer lives. In her commentary on this text, Rabbi Tamar Alad Applebaum writes that each day, every Jewish soul must be sure to stand up again and again and through the medium of daily prayer, dream of the highest form of existence that can be and ask that it be true. Beth Tzedek, let's dream together. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>